The title of the message today is Life is about relationships Life is about relationships Christianity is all about our relationship with God and our fellow human beings Relationships are central to our lives whether it be our relationship with God our relationship with our church family with our own uh, families and with others. Just as a child needs a mother, we need each other. The need for others is rooted deeply within our souls. God planned it that way. That's why God said in Genesis chapter 2, it is not good for the man to be alone. It's interesting to note that that's the only time that God said it is not good. So do not take relationships lightly. To survive in a cold and cruel world requires deep relationships. But those relationships do not just happen, they require effort. We have to do more than just reach out to others. We have to share our lives with us as well. Ever since the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, maintaining relationships have been a major struggle between man and man and man and God. One of the biggest causes of unhappiness in our world is strained relationships. Now, unity is a key ingredient for success and fulfillment in life. To have a successful business or organization, the employees or members must get along and work well together. To have a successful football team, the players must work well together. To have a successful government, the two houses of Congress and the president must cooperate to get things done. To have a successful family, the members must work together. And to have a successful church, the members, leaders, and pastor must work together and enjoy doing so. Very little is accomplished in life by yourself. Very little is accomplished without cooperation. And to get cooperation, we have to build relationships. The problem is people don't always get along. They don't always cooperate. That was the problem with the Galatian church. And Paul, writing to them in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 15, uh, says, If you go on hurting each other and tearing each other apart, be careful or you will completely destroy each other. Fortunately, God in his word gives us some advice for real world relationships, the kind that we live with and struggle with every day. Anybody can make a relationship work in a 250-page paperback novel, and anybody can make a relationship work in a 90-minute Hollywood movie. But God talks about the real struggles, the real relationships that we have to live with every day. He gives us some practical advice 
about how to make it when everything seems to be falling apart. He gives us some practical advice about how to learn to love the imperfect persons that we live amongst. And so, first of all, thank God for our differences. Thank God for our differences. Now, some of the greatest frustrations that we face in relationships are caused by the fact that God made us to be different. Would you agree that parents and teenagers often think differently? Would you agree that men and women, husbands and wives, often think differently? This difference is at times a cause of great delight, but at other times is a cause of great agony and frustration. God made us to be different, and he did it on purpose. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, we read, So God created human beings in his image. In the image of God, he created them. He created them male and female. Now, God made us purposefully to be different that is, husbands and wives, not just physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. We think differently, we work differently, we shop differently, and we even sometimes watch television programs differently. Yet in spite of all of the evidence that we are so different, we still get frustrated by the differences. And we say, why can't she see it the way I do because God made her to be different or we say he is so stubborn why can't he see it my way because God made him to be different as you have heard it said that if two people agree on everything then one of them is unnecessary so to reduce the frustration you have to stop fighting reality we are different. God made us to be different. In fact, he made men and women to be different in a marriage, not to frustrate us, but to complete us. So my wife can give me an idea that I would never think of to help me grow in a way I would never be able to grow. It takes both of us to come up with the whole truth. So we need to thank God for our differences. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 15 and verse 7, Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. So when I accept you as different, and when you accept me as different, and enjoy those differences, the Bible says that brings praise to God. Why? Because he made us to be different. How about those times when it's not the differences that is the frustrating factor, but the difficulties? It's the faults of the other person. So what do we do then? So secondly, we go to God with our disappointments. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Sometimes 
That is what love does. It makes allowances for somebody else's faults. Notice it does not say, make excuses for somebody else's faults. Making allowance for somebody else's faults doesn't mean that you say it's okay for them uh, to do the things that they are doing. It means that you say it's okay for them to take time to get to where they need to be. So when you're disappointed in a relationship, what do you do? You go to God with your disappointments. Sometimes these disappointments are over the fact that none of us is perfect. That person you married or that child you um, had or that uh, relationship that you established, that person is not perfect. Sometimes, though, the fault is nobody's fault. Sometimes we are disappointed by our own image about how things should be. We think we are going to have a perfect wedding, a perfect house, raise perfect kids who are going to go off to their perfect lives, and we are going to sail off to a perfect retirement. But there's no such thing. Life is not perfect. Your marriage is not perfect. Your children are not perfect. Your friendships are not perfect. Your colleagues are not perfect. So what do you do with the disappointments that come because of these imperfect relationships? You go to God. He can meet needs that no one else can meet. One of the reasons we are disappointed in a relationship is we expect people to meet needs in our life that only God can meet. Don't expect any person to be what no person could be in your life. For example, you expect a person to be always there for you. No, only God can always be there. He's the only one who is everywhere all the time. So sometimes we are disappointed because we are asking too much of one another. We are asking people to do things they can never do. We are asking a person to never fail us. But uh, your husband will fail you. Your wife will fail you. Your kids will fail you. Even your pastor will fail you because we are not perfect. And you are not perfect. Only God will never fail you. See, when you begin to allow God to meet the needs that uh, only he can meet in your life, then you begin to reduce your disappointments with the other relationships of life. When you face the disappointments, you have to make a choice. You're either going to bail out or stick it out. When you said, I do, or you had that new baby, or started that friendship, all you thought about was the promise that was in that relationship. But uh, right now, some of you are face-to-face -face with disappointment that is a part of the relationship that you're in. Listen to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7. It says, love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. 
that's real life. You face real disappointments. Where are you going to find the power to endure through every circumstance? You go to God with your disappointments and let him meet needs that only he can meet in your life. You let him give you the strength and the power to do what you need to do. But number three, ask God for his direction. He is the one who invented relationships, marriage, families, friendships. Yet sometimes we fail to ask the world's number one expert for advice when we need it. He is willing to give it. Listen to what James has to say in James chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. If you need wisdom, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him, and he will gladly tell you. He will not resent your asking, but when you ask him, be sure that you really expect him to answer. For a doubtful mind is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Circle the phrase, ask him, and circle the phrase, he will gladly tell you. So the question is, when you ask him for advice, how does he let you know what to do next? There are two ways. One, he speaks to you through the scriptures. God wrote the scriptures, and um, he gives us advice through the scriptures. The Bible is filled with advice about relationships. Some of it is not uh, easy to take, but it's good advice. Take, for example, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. You are not the same as those who do not believe. So do not join yourselves to them. Good and bad do not belong together. Light and darkness cannot share together. That's from the New Center Version. The NIV uh, version says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? See, what um, the Apostle Paul is saying here is that a believer in Christ should not really marry an unbeliever. Now, there's a hard uh, advice for some to take. Uh, They will say, but we are in love. But I can tell you story after story that love is not enough. Why would God give this type of advice? Because he knows that if two people aren't heading in the same direction spiritually, they are going to have difficulty and they are going to struggle in 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 their marriage. And so he gives advice to help us, not to prevent us from experiencing uh, the joy that we want to experience with one another. Is God really interested in stuff about relationships? Of course he is interested. Uh, Look at Psalm 62 and and verse 8. Trust in God at all times, my people. Tell him all your troubles, for he is our refuge. So the first place to look when you want to get an answer from God is the scriptures, the Bible. But the next place you look for advice is from believers who are trying to follow God's word. 
Have you noticed when it comes to relationships that there are lots of people willing to give you advice? Well, I would suggest that you look for people who have good relationships, people with a good track record, and people who are trying humbly to say, God, what do you want me to do in this relationship? So God speaks to us not only the scriptures, but he speaks to us through one another. And the different ways of speaking to us, but uh, listen to people who are in, in contact with God, who have a relationship with God, and whose lives indicate that they are following God's way. But number four, look to Jesus as your example. Look to Jesus as your example. All of us struggle with selfishness. Selfishness is at the core of our being. Jesus is the only truly unselfish person ever to walk this earth. He came into this world not for his own sake, but for our sakes. He is the only one who did the right thing and never asked, what's in it for me? Jesus came to live in this world so that we would have a relationship with him right now, where we are, and receive the power and the strength to make at least one unselfish choice we might not have um, made this week before us. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, 30 and verse 32. Paul says, Be kind and loving to each other, and forgive each other, just as God forgave you in Christ. How in the world are you going to find the power to forgive someone who has hurt you? So when I see how much Jesus has forgiven me, it gives me the strength and the motivation to forgive somebody else. The Apostle Paul uh, says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 7, Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Two little boys, Kevin five and Ryan three, were sitting down to breakfast. Their mother was making pancakes. She brings them the first pancake cake and they both grab for it. And their mother decides that this is a great moment to teach them a moral lesson. And she says, if Jesus were here, he would give his brother the first pancake, and then he would sit and wait patiently. And so Kevin looks at his little brother and says, Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> but isn't that one of the great questions of life? Who is going to be Jesus in this situation? Who is going to be the one that's going to make the unselfish choice in the situation? Just doing one thing 
unselfishly this next week because of the example of Jesus and the power he gives could change everything in the situation that you're in. One unselfish act, one unselfish word could make all the difference. He said, Jesus is our model. Jesus is our example. If you want to know how to get along with people, even those who are hard to get along with, look at the example of Jesus. We are to put on the mind of Christ and develop the same attitude toward others that he had. What was his attitude? It is found in the scripture we just read. Even though he was God, he didn't demand his rights. He humbled himself and became obedient to his father's will, even to the point of death. Jesus was willing to sacrifice himself for others. So, are you willing to do that? It is impossible to live a life of unselfishness on your own. It is human nature to be selfish, to only look out for number one. We have that, that nature to do what we, what we want to do. We are selfish through and through. But Christ wants us to live differently. He wants us to develop a Christ-like character. He wants us to become like he is. Just doing one thing unselfishly this next week because of the example of Jesus and the power he gives could change everything in the situation that you're in. One unselfish act, one unselfish word. Sometimes everything hinges on that moment of unselfishness. Where are you going to find the power to do one thing differently this week? Not in yourself, not even in Jesus' example. You find the power in your relationship with him. In that relationship, you find the satisfaction and the joy that enables you to be unselfish in your relationship with others. When I look at how much Jesus has forgiven me, I find the strength to forgive others. When I see how patient he is with me to grow, I find the strength to be patient and to wait for somebody else as they grow. When I see how gentle Jesus is in dealing with my faults, I find the strength and skill to be gentle with somebody else's faults. When I see how Jesus went to the cross and willingly sacrificed his life for me, I find the strength to sacrifice some of my time for somebody else. The final verse sums up everything that we have talked about, and it's First John uh, chapter 3 and verse 18, where John says, My children, we should love people not only with words and talk, but by our actions and true caring. So this kind of love knows no limitations, no boundaries. It will turn the other cheek. It will go the second mile and the third mile and the fourth mile or whatever is necessary to help someone else. This kind of love carries no chip on its shoulder, remembers no axe to grind, has no cutting words on its lips, holds no ill feeling in its heart, casts no daggers into the backs of others, 
does not falsely interpret the actions of others. It points no finger of accusation, makes no promise it does not plan to keep, and does not take advantage of another's failures, and does not rejoice at another's misfortune. Where this kind of love is present, burdens become lighter, hearts become tender, words become sweeter, hopes become brighter, conflicts become fewer, attitudes become better, deeds become kinder, and commitments become deeper. Lord, I want to be like Jesus in my heart. In my heart, in my heart, Lord, I want to be like Jesus in my heart. Amen. Amen.